Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here, and it is great to be with you. Happy Easter. Um, it is uh, wonderful for us to be together and to be able to join with the church around the world in celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. For the resurrection of Christ is uh, central to the Christian faith. It is central to our belief, so central, in fact, that it is something that we should consider and think upon and, and reflect upon, not just on Sunday, not just on Easter, but, but every day of our lives. It is so central that it has great impact and import over our lives. And so every day we should be pondering the, the realities of Christ's resurrection. But, but on this day, uh, we give concerted effort and concert, concert, we give a lot of attention. <laughs> there we go. That sounded a little bit better, right? Yep. Uh, we give more attention uh, to the uh, resurrection of Christ. And we do so, what is wonderful is that we do so not just here at Christ the King, but we do this in... In, uh, in together with the other churches in this area and around the world, that we can come and worship the risen king. That though he was crucified and dead and buried, uh, the beauty of Easter is that the tomb couldn't hold him. That death could not reign over him. That Christ is risen. And as we consider his resurrection, we're going to do so by looking at Luke 24. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke 24. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to project the passage on the screens in front of you. You can follow along there. Um, and also, if, if you're here and you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, please let me know or Tobias or someone around you. Let us know. We would love to give you one as you leave today. Or if you'd like, we'll order one and have it sent to your home. We, we believe that the Word, the Bible, is God's very Word of life. And it's important for us all to have it. And so if you need one, please let us know. But this morning, we're going to focus our attention on Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. The they are the women, the followers of Jesus. They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb. They told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that Jesus is alive, that he is risen, and it is only because he is risen that we come to you this morning, and we come with great hope. And so we hope and pray and ask that you would meet with us, that you would give us more of your grace, more of your love, more of your care, 
and that you would show us what it means to be people who live in light of the resurrection. Fill us with hope, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So it's the hope that kills you. It's the hope that kills you. That's a line from a show that Kat and I recently watched. It's a show about an American football coach who is now a European soccer coach. So now he coaches in the EPL, the English Premier League. He was an American college football coach, and now he's coaching European football. And he has no idea what he's doing. He doesn't understand the rules. He doesn't understand how the game is played. He doesn't know what an offside is or different set pieces. And his team is horrible, (laughs) as you can only imagine. They're at the bottom of the league, and they're one game away from uh, being relegated to a lower tier. You see, that's how they do it in the EPL. You finish at the bottom, and you just get dropped down to, like, the minor leagues. And they're on the verge of this happening. And the town in which this football team resides, this town, their, their day, their year, their joys, their sadness, it all rises and falls with the success of this team. And so this town, the people of this town, have this phrase, it's the hope that kills you. And they say this to one another. And the players say it to one another. And the reason they say this to one another is because they're trying to protect themselves from getting their expectations too high, of allowing their hopes to becoming too great, because when the team fails, and they will certainly fail, the blow won't be so crushing. It's the hope that kills you. We understand this, don't we? I mean, we don't use this phrase. We use a different phrase. We say... We're just waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? We say everything's been going great, everything is wonderful, but uh, I'm sure tomorrow's going to be horrible, right? We know what this is like because we've had hopes and expectations, and, and those hopes and expectations, they fall flat, they change, and they alter. I mean, just think back two years ago, Easter Sunday 2019, Right on Easter Sunday 2019, I was standing on this same stage and I was looking out at many of these same faces and we were singing songs and praying prayers and hearing God's word and partaking of the supper. And there was so much hope and expectation that day, right? Because that was the first day we had worshiped in our building together. And you remember, right, the days leading up to it? I mean, they were chaotic, and we weren't sure if the lights would come on, and we didn't know if the heating would be right, and and we didn't know if I would be mic'd, right? We weren't sure. We were just kind of trying to pull it all together at the last minute. And it was chaotic, and it was mayhem, and it was wonderful. And after that day, there were many hopes and many expectations of many Easter's to follow. But we know a year later that those hopes hit a bump. Because though two years ago we were in this building on that Sunday with the sanctuary packed to the gills, one year ago we sat by ourselves, singing and praying and listening in our living rooms. Our hopes hit a bump. Our hopes, our expectations, they came crashing down. And not just within the church body, but, but we experienced this individually, right? The expectation of graduations, of wedding celebrations, of baby showers, of trips. They all dramatically changed. We experienced that crash and the disappointment of unmet expectations. And so maybe it is true that it's the hope that kills you. I imagine that the disciples... 
the women, the followers of Jesus, that on the Friday after Christ was crucified and on that long Sabbath Saturday as they waited to be able to go and prepare the body and take spices to the tomb, I imagine as they waited, they were maybe thinking the same thing. I mean, because they had had hope, right? Hope that Jesus was the Savior they had been waiting for. Hope that Jesus was the Messiah that was promised. Hope that Christ was the King who would usher in the kingdom. But now he was dead. And in the tomb. It's the hope that kills you. I imagine they were feeling that that morning. As they walked towards the tomb. But, but what the women and what Peter and what we are going to find is true hope. You see, as we approach the empty tomb, what we find is not a hope that fails, but one that is greater than what we expected. Excuse me. What we find in the tomb is hope for life. It's hope for life. You see, as the women, they came to the tomb, they expected to find the stone in the body. Right? In fact, in one of the other accounts, the women are walking along, and they actually say to one another, who's going to roll away the the stone? It's too big, and we don't have enough people. It's too heavy. But when they approach the tomb, they find the stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty. And we're told that the women, they looked in and they were perplexed. They were perplexed. Now that word for perplexed, it it means it has the implication of serious anxiety. Serious anxiety. You see, the sadness that they had experienced at Jesus' death was only amplified excuse me, when the body was gone. It was only amplified when they found that the body was gone, but before their sadness could overwhelm them, before their hope is dashed, they hear angelic words. That's who speaks them. That's who these men are in dazzling apparel. They're angels. And what do they say in verse 5? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Why do you seek the living among the dead? What, what an interesting question. Can you imagine the women? I mean, what, what kind of question is this that they're hearing? Because what do you mean the living among the dead? We're in a cemetery. We're at a grave. We're at a tomb. What living? This is the place of the dead. That is what they expected. But Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. The tomb is empty. And what's more, this is exactly what Jesus said that he would do. What would happen? He had said he would go to his death and then rise. And so you can almost hear that the angels, as they are reminding the women of what they have heard, as they are reminding the women of what they should have been expecting, that that the angels are almost saying, women, do not grieve. Do not be sad. The place where hope would fall flat, it it actually grows. Because though he was dead, Christ is alive. You see, that is where their hope is. Their hope is in an empty tomb, a resurrected Savior. Their hope for life is found in Christ, and that's where we find hope. Because, friends, the truth is, is that without the resurrection... Apart from the resurrection, what we are doing here this morning is completely, absolutely, and certainly pointless. 
with Jesus is still in the tomb, if he is not risen, then y'all, let's just stop and go and get brunch. And that's not just penny pontificating. That is straight out of the scriptures. That's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, this wonderful chapter about the resurrection. The Apostle Paul says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He goes on and says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In other words, if Christ is in the grave, we have no hope. We have no hope. Because if Christ is still dead, then what happened on the cross was a moral man died a painful death, and our faith is futile. But thanks be to God that the tomb is empty, that the grave cannot contain him. You see, our faith is not futile, that Christ is risen, he is alive. The tomb isn't the place of death, the tomb is the place of life, he is risen. The tomb cannot contain him, hallelujah. And because Christ lives, we live with him. That's what the scriptures tell us. That those who put their hope in Christ, that we are no longer dead in our sins and our trespasses, but we are alive with him. And because Christ is alive, we live with him. You see, the tomb is the place of hope. Hope for life. But it's also the place of hope for those who doubt. For those who doubt. So see how this plays out. In verses 10 and 11, these women, they see the the empty tomb. They hear the words of the angels. And so where do they go? Well, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. So we see where they went. Excuse me. They went to the apostles, right? The disciples. They went to these men who who they had known, who they had walked with, who they had trusted. Excuse me. They went and talked to them, these trusted friends, right? And, and when they go and they tell them all that they had seen, how, how did these trusted friends respond? Well, we're told these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Their own friends, John and James, Peter and the others, they didn't believe. They doubted. And maybe some of you are doubting this morning. Maybe you hear the claims of a resurrected Jesus, and you think, I've never seen someone raised to life. You're thinking, that doesn't happen, that can't happen, right? Because, like, I've never seen anyone raised to life. Right? We don't see dead people just walking down our streets. Right? This is not part of our normal experience. And so, so we try to make sense of it. We try to understand. May, maybe there's something more here. Maybe it's not really that Jesus rose from the dead. Maybe it's simply a symbolic representation of some sort of spiritual, spiritual truth. Maybe the disciples just lied. Maybe they concocted this entire story. That this is an incredible lie and they've duped us and we think about those things and they just seem to reaffirm our doubts but y'all before we are given over to our doubts i want you to see something i want you to see something that actually points to the historicity of the resurrection and that is who it is that finds the empty tomb it's women 
Now, to our 21st century ears and eyes, that doesn't look or sound all that strange, right? It's just historical fact. The women find the empty tomb. But to first century Palestinian ears, this would have been a very important point. This would have been a huge deal because in that day, women couldn't testify in a court of law. Their recounting wouldn't be enough. You see, women, their testimonies were often ignored. And yet it was women who found the empty tomb. It was women who first heard that Jesus was alive. It was women who are the first to go and proclaim that Christ was risen. So I want you to think about this for a second. If this is a whole big hoax, one big conspiracy theory, don't you think that Peter and James and John and the other disciples who were smart enough and savvy enough to make up a story that would change the world would have been smart and savvy enough to make sure the key witnesses could give testimony? I mean, like, they would, they would miss that point? They come up with all the other stuff, but they forget that? Like, if I was telling this story, if we were telling it, if we were making it up and we want people to believe, it's not women that would find the tomb empty. It would be Peter and James and John and the other disciples. And they wouldn't have made themselves doubt. They would have believed right from the beginning, right? If you're telling a lie, well, this is just, well, it's just silly. (laughs) No, the explanation for why it is that the women found the tomb empty And why it is the women go and tell the disciples. And why the disciples don't look their best in this passage. And why it is that the women proclaim that Christ is risen is because he has. He has. If this was a fable or a made-up story, you wouldn't have written it this way. The ignored and the marginalized and the minimized of the culture would have remained ignored. But instead, they are honored. The women are honored by being the ones who discover the empty tomb and announcing that Jesus is risen. You see, friends, there is hope for those who doubt. I mean, the disciples themselves, eventually they would put aside their doubt and they would believe. So what about you? What about you? Friends, put aside your doubt. Believe that Christ not only died, but he rose. I mean, I mean, just think about this for a second. If, if there is a God over the universe, a God who created the heavens and the earth by his very word, as the Bible tells us, what is resurrection to him? Right? What is resurrection to the God who can say, stars, and there they are. Right? What is resurrection to the God who can say, let there be light, and there was light? If there is a God in the heavens who rules over the earth, resurrection is nothing to him. And so put aside your doubt. Jesus rose. He lives. Have hope. Hope for life. Hope for sinners. You see, that's the last thing that we see is that the empty tomb, in the empty tomb, there is hope for the sinner. No one believed the women, but yet in verse 12, we do see that Peter rose And he ran to the tomb, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now, in one sense, this is exactly what we would expect to happen of Peter, right? Peter, uh, one of the disciples, one of the inner 
three, right? There was Peter, James, and John who had this special relationship with Jesus, kind of the inner circle. He, he was prominent among the disciples, but Peter was also rash and impetuous, right? He's the one who goes running without thinking. He's the one who speaks without thinking. In fact, this morning, I, I have to tell you that, that as I saw Riley running to the front, this is what I thought of. Right? We had a perfect demonstration of what Peter may have looked like right in our own service. And Riley, very good. <laughs> Way to run to the front. But this is what we expect of Peter, right? That this is what he would do. He would take off running. He would bolt to the empty tomb. It's not surprising, but at the same time, it is completely shocking. It's shocking because, what else, because of what else we know about Peter. Right? The last time we saw Peter was in chapter 22 of the book of Luke. And there, Peter told Jesus, you remember, he said, I will go with you wherever you go. I will follow you to the ends of the earth, even to the point of death. I will leave you. I will never forsake you, Jesus. You remember Peter said that? And then Jesus was arrested. And before he was even sentenced to death or before he ever carried his cross up that hill, Peter was asked three times if he was a follower of Christ. And each time, he denied Jesus. I don't know him. I'm not one of his followers. I don't know what you're talking about. And on his final denial, the rooster crowed. You remember, just as Jesus said it would crow. And we're told that at that moment in the Gospel of Luke, we're told that Jesus looked at Peter, and Peter wept bitterly. So think about that. Think about what that would have been like. Jesus' glance when the rooster crowed. The shame that Peter would have felt. I mean, think about when we've wronged someone. When we've sinned against a brother or a sister. When, when we are feeling guilt and shame. We don't want to see them, right? We don't want to look in their face. I mean, kids. When your mom or dad calls you into the kitchen or the living room and you know you've been caught, whatever it is that you've done. And you come into that room, right? Where, where do you look? You look down. All of a sudden, you're, you know, you're infatuated by your shoes. <laughs> you look down. Because you don't want to look into the face of someone whom you've hurt. Your guilt, your shame, your pain, you, you feel it, right? And so your parents have to say, look at me. Look into my face. Look in my eyes, right? They have to raise your head. Because when we know that shame and we know that pain and we know that guilt, we don't want to look at the person we've hurt. And y'all, Peter knew that guilt. And Peter knew that pain. And Peter knew that shame. And yet when he hears that the tomb is empty, he doesn't retreat into his shame. He doesn't mull over his guilt. He runs to the tomb. He sprints to the tomb. And he looks in and he sees the empty grave and he marveled. He ran to the place of resurrection because the place of resurrection is the place for sinners. Even those who have denied Jesus, it is the place for, to find hope. Hope that our sins are forgiven. And not just hope for sinners like Peter, but hope for sinners like me. Hope for sinners like you. Well, maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, well I've sinned too much. 
and I've gone too far. And if he only knew. Well, friends, I don't know your past, and I don't know all of your histories, and I don't know all of your actions, but I do know this. The tomb isn't for perfect people, for there are none. It is for those who know their need, who know their sin, who know their guilt and their shame, and know what they need is forgiveness. As the hymn beautifully puts it, come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you'll never come at all. It's not the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners that Jesus came to call. You see, friends, the tomb is not the place where our hopes are dashed. It's not the place where where we declare that it's the hope that kills you. No, the tomb is the place where sinners and where doubters and those who are dead in our trespasses find hope. We find hope for life because Jesus lives. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that the tomb could not contain your son. That death could not rule over him, but Christ is risen, and he lives, and he reigns now and forevermore. And we praise you that, that Christ has had the last word over death, and the grave, and over hell. And that because he lives, we live with him. And so we pray that you would turn our eyes towards Christ. That you would soften our hearts to his resurrection. That we would put our hope in a king who lives. And we pray all this in Christ's name and God's people said together, Amen.